You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here on Napa Broadcasting. At the beginning of each year, we see lots of changes, not the least of which are all the resolutions we make personally about our health. Also, each year, new laws go into effect here in California, some of which directly impact our health and safety. This year, in addition to all those other laws going into effect, recreational cannabis became legal in California. And while many of the details are still being worked out, a little like sewing the parachute after the jump, the one area that is clearly evolving is the impact of this on our public health and safety. Joining me to talk about it, I am joined by Dr. Karen Smith. Many of you remember her as the former public health officer here in Napa County, and Dr. Karen Smith is now the director of the Department of Public Health and California's state public health officer. Dr. Karen Smith, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you back. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be back. One of the things that I think a lot of people are curious about is the degree to which planning and consideration really was made with respect to what the health consequences might be, both short-term and long-term, with respect to uh, cannabis being recreational. Talk a little bit about that first, and just a little bit about the process that your department has gone through in looking at this. Sure. Well, I think um, first and foremost, the those the individuals who crafted Proposition 64, which the voters of California passed, actually took a lot of time and very carefully looked at sort of what kind of regulation needed to be in place in order to ensure that we created a legal market for adult use cannabis, as we call it here in California, um, that also protected health and safety. And so the way that um, that came together through the Senate Bill 94, which is the final legislation, is there are three main uh, departments that are regulating aspects of cannabis. The first is the Bureau of Cannabis Control. They are the lead agency for all things cannabis. Uh, The California Department of Food and Agriculture regulates everything having to do with growing cannabis, so the the and the actual agricultural aspects, but also then they are in charge of what we call the track and trace system. And the track and trace system is crucial to both making sure that that none of the cannabis goes, uh, is diverted into an illegal market, but it also is vital to us in terms of finding out if there is, similar to what we do with food, if there's some sort of um, problem with uh, the cannabis product as it gets further down the chain to the retail outlet, we can trace back to its, its origin. And then finally, the Department of Public Health, um, we have responsibility for manufacture, manufacturers of cannabis products. And what that means is everything that is not the actual flower. So whether that's edible products, which I think most people are, are, have heard about, if not sampled, um, but then also tinctures and extracts and all the many, many different forms of, of cannabis that are that are now out there. Um, it's a remarkably rapidly evolving market. For each of those uh, departments and in each area, there's been a lot of attention paid to making sure that the regulations that we put in place are, um, you know, focused primarily on safety. And so, for example, in the realm of edible, mark, um, 
products. We have used very similar um, regulations to the, that which we use for regulating food that's made in California so that you can be assured that what you're taking is safe. The other area is in how much, um, what the concentration of the psychoactive component, that THC that everybody's heard about, how much is actually in it. So that if you are going to ingest some cannabis product, you know what you're getting. That's not been the case and that has led to some unfortunate circumstances in the past. And then finally, the other um, entity that is very closely involved in the whole issue of safety, of course, is the Office of Traffic Safety um, in the California Highway Patrol. They are working very hard on making sure to educate people about the fact that you may not realize that you are altered when you're when you're using cannabis, but in fact you are. It slows your reaction times. It um, alters your judgment, and so they're really pushing to make sure that people understand that. Do the products that are sold here have to be made in California? Yes, it's actually illegal to take cannabis or cannabis products across state lines from any state to any other state. Um, remember that that um, cannabis is still illegal under federal law, and so and federal law is what um, dictates the uh, transportation of any product um, across state lines. So you cannot take anything containing cannabis um, across state lines legally. Have we gotten better or have we developed better metrics for measuring the dosing? And, and what do we understand and what do we still need to understand about that? Well, that's a really interesting question. I would, I would say the answer to have we gotten better is yes and no. On the one hand, we know more about cannabis than we did, you know, at least back when I was in college, in that we clearly understand that the tetrahydrocannabinoids are the psychoactive component. That's what gets you high in common parlance. There are also other compounds called uh, cannabidiol, CBD, etc., that have less psychoactive effect and may, but may be responsible for a lot of the kind of feel that people get and potentially for some of the medicinal benefits. What we are able to, at least for the commercial marketplace, if you go in to purchase uh, a cannabis-containing product, you will be able to tell. Now, this is. I let me just stop for once. Stop myself for a second <laughs> here and say, the first six months is a grace period. So, in the first six months, products that were already in um, dispensaries, now called retail uh, outlets, um, are not tested. They um, they have not gone through the rigorous uh, regulatory process. And that was intentional to allow us to, to actually go live on January 1 and sell cannabis legally, but we did not have an infrastructure in place, um, and nor could we implement regulations restricting, you know, sort of what you sell and how much you sell prior to the law going into effect in January 1. So in order to maintain the supply for the customer, but also because we could not implement the regulations until January 1, the next six months, basically what will be happening is existing stock will be sold um, and it will be clearly labeled as not having been tested um, and new product will come in. Any new product that come, comes in will have to meet the regulatory standards. So now that I've said that, what you will know when, when we get to the point where what you're purchasing is exclusively regulated product is you'll know exactly how much 
THC is in that um, thing that you're about to consume. What we are not testing for um, are all the other cannabidiols, so the CBD and CBG and et cetera, et cetera, the other products that are in there. We're just not, we're not there yet. And there's a lot we don't understand about how all those compounds combine um, and different mixtures of compounds combine and what their effect is on the body. You'll see a lot of products out there that are being sold with, you know, 1% of THC and 4% of uh, CBD, et cetera. But we really don't know a lot about that. But what we will be able to tell you is that any product that you buy after July will have, it will be clearly labeled with how much THC it has on it. That's a safety thing. It's the THC that can um, really, if you if you ingest too much, um, cause people to have bad reactions mm-hmm. to cannabis, maybe make them um, drive unsafely or do unsafe things. So that's why the focus on THC. Is there going to be testing then at that point or at some point down the road for other chemicals that may be in the product? Yes, there will also be testing for pesticide residues, mold, fungus, and and certain other chemicals. um, The same chemicals that we test any food product for, but also then the pesticide testing will be done on the raw flowers. And so that's actually really important. It's a challenging area. You know, in most things, when we test for pesticides, we have a standard. We know what is considered safe or not safe. We don't really have that for cannabis, but the California Department of Food and Agriculture and the Department of Pesticide Regulations working together have, re- have you know, sort of developed some testing protocols that we believe will um, provide a level of safety that's acceptable for a commercially available product. Are the rules any different for product that is sold ostensibly for medicinal use? Not in terms of how it's grown or distributed. Um, The manufacturing is the same. Where they differ is um, the amount of THC that is allowed in particular um, in a particular product is a little bit higher for the medicinal marijuana. The other big difference obviously doesn't have it has to do with taxes if you have a medical marijuana id card and purchase medicinal marijuana the sales tax is is uh different so um that's one difference but as far as the product itself the the regulations for growing and manufacturing and distributing are identical it's that there we do allow for a slightly higher concentration of thc in products designed for medicinal use and there's also a difference in minimum age of purchase between medicinal yes. and recreational. Talk about that. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, reflecting California's law, which has been in place since 1996, um, people with a, a physician's recommendation and a state issued medical marijuana ID card can purchase uh, medicinal marijuana product um, if they are 18 or older. For adult use or so-called recreational cannabis, you have to be 21 years or older. What kind of measurements will your department, and and specifically your department in association perhaps with, with traffic safety and the highway patrol, be using to measure going forward what some of the public health consequences of this might be? 
Well, we're in development right now of exactly that. Clearly, the sorts of things that we would want to measure are, um, you know, obviously uh, Department of Traffic Safety and NCHP will be measuring um, crashes and increases in DUI, et cetera. The sorts of things that we would want to also look at are poison control calls, uh, emergency department visits associated with cannabis, hospitalizations associated with cannabis. In the longer term, one of the things that we're very interested in monitoring and concerned about are two particularly vulnerable groups, and that is youth um, who are using cannabis regularly. Um, We know that, you know, Cannabis is a neurotoxin, and we know that youth who use cannabis regularly have a number of negative outcomes, including, you know, decreased educational attainment, um, inability to concentrate. There, it, cannabis does have an addictive potential, and so we're, we're very concerned that we minimize youth access to cannabis and that youth have good information available to them about the risks of cannabis specifically for them. The other group is pregnant and breastfeeding women. Cannabis THC does cross into the placenta, and so the fetus, as it's developing, is be, its brain is being exposed to a neurotoxin. We don't have a lot of data on the negative health outcomes of that, but we have a lot of data on other kinds of neurotoxins, and so we want to be sure that pregnant women are very clear on the potential risk to the fetus. Similarly, uh, THC concentr- and other cannabidiols concentrate in breast milk. And so women who are breastfeeding need to be aware that they are also exposing their infant in those critical first couple of years when their brain is most rapidly developing to a potential neurotoxin. And so we're really pushing to get information out to women and to youth about cannabis and to sort of reality check a little bit the the um, tremendous amount of positive um, atmosphere around the legalization of cannabis. Kind of a yes but, mm-hmm. if you will. How much have we been able to benefit from places like Colorado that have been at this a while? And to what extent has that helped us and helped you in, in determining the rules and the direction that California would go? It's been extra. We have benefited tremendously. We've been in ongoing conversations uh, and meetings with a consortium of states that have uh, the states that have legalized recreational marijuana, but then also several that are getting ready to. Um, we learned a lot in our development. Uh, for regulations from Colorado and Washington's experience and also Alaska so that we could not, we could skip a couple of mistakes that happened early on um, and learn from their um, experience, particularly around things like maximum dosing, the types of, of uh, products availability, et cetera. And um, so that's been extremely helpful. We've, we are still working very closely with that group of states, and particularly Colorado, around monitoring the health impact of cannabis. They, um, the way their, uh, their taxation system is structured, um, they're doing a great deal of surveillance and also research into the effect on, on communities and individuals of the legalization of cannabis. So we're, we're learning from what they're learning as well, and we hope to be able to continue to do that over time. Talk a little bit about the cost in terms of the resources with respect primarily to your department and the additional work, the additional staff, the additional needs that are required as a result of this. 
Well, first, there are sort of two categories of, of work that we're currently engaged in. On the one hand, we have the regulatory component. We've had to add over 50 staff um, and are actually adding additional staff just to oversee the regulation of the manufacturer of, of cannabis products and its distribution. Um, we have to have what are essentially food inspection folks out in the field throughout the state of California, wherever cannabis product is being manufactured, and then also making sure that we're, we're testing the manufacturing processes and the work, the kind similar to the work that we do with food. But in addition to that, all the, the um, really highly technical um, activities that, going, that go into making sort of some of the extracts and, and that sort of thing. So that has been a huge lift for us. First of all, we've had to learn a lot when that's the, our, our companion states have been very helpful in that. But also to fully, you know, sort of stand up that whole thing has been quite an experience. The other work that we're doing right now, we have um, funding from uh, the Department of Healthcare Services that came through um, originally Prop 64 to do public health and education. Um, for this year, what we've done is we've um, put on the, on the website um, information about what's legal in California, what you can and cannot do, who are people who are potentially vulnerable from cannabis, a lot of factual information about the science behind cannabis and how it affects the body. All of that you can find on our website, letstalkcannabis.ca.gov. And we have, uh, we're also creating, uh, we have a little 30-second PSA video about what's legal, and we'll be building on all of that educational material. We've also created a toolkit for local health departments throughout the state to take those materials, our fact sheets and our, our other educational materials, and adapt them for their local jurisdictions so that they can use those to help expand. We are also in the process of developing some um, messaging around safety and prevention for pregnant and breastfeeding women, uh, women and also for youth that we will be putting out in the, over the following six months. The funding for that all ends at the end of this year. Um, the, one of the challenges is we're, we're working really hard to identify resources to continue both to do education and outreach, but also the surveillance work that we were talking about. How do we know what's happening around health impacts, et cetera. We really haven't identified um, a stable ongoing source of funding for that. So we're in active discussions right now for that. And with respect to the public health side, talk a little bit about the interface between the State Department of Public Health and the various county departments. And I'm sure there are some counties that are embracing this, some that perhaps are more resistant. How that interface is working? Sure. Well, we're actually extremely lucky in California. We have what I sort of think of as one system of, of public health that incorporates the counties and the state. And the state has certainly um, sort of an oversight role. We also have resources that individual counties do not have. But we are a firmly home rule state. So the, the primary responsibility for public health and public health decision making rests in the county and in three places. We also have three cities 
city health departments in, in California. And so we look to the local public health departments as a partner. Um, a substantial amount of what we do at, at the state level is to pass on federal money for various programming. With cannabis, what we've been doing is been having very, very active conversations with local health jurisdictions to address some of the issues. Um, in addition to just sort of monitoring and thinking about how do we determine what the health impacts have been, the other is just um, helping local health jurisdictions articulate the science of what we do and don't know about cannabis. Because as local governments in general have tried to make decisions about whether or not and to what extent they want to have the commercial cannabis industry in their jurisdictions, a lot of that we just, public health always wants to try to bring the best science to the conversation. And so part of our job at the state level is to help local jurisdictions um, in articulating what that science is. And we put a lot of resources, um, including monetary resources, into exactly that early on and about a year and a half ago so that um, we could give local jurisdictions the information they need so that when they're asked by their, the population, but also then by their uh, government leaders, what about this or that re regarding what do we know, we have the best knowledge available. Unfortunately, we don't know nearly as much as we would like to about cannabis. Um, it's very difficult to do research on a product mm -hmm. that is not legal um, at the federal level. And is it your sense that from a public health perspective that somewhere down the line there will need to be some changes in the law, some legislative fixes down the road? Well, I suspect there will have to be um, some legislative fixes in many ways. Um, and not necessarily around public health, but I think that there we there will be things that just aren't working that we'll need to fix. I think for me the most important aspect is that we be vigilant that whatever it is that we're doing, the health and safety of the population is first and foremost, and but that we're being rational about that. I mean, we don't want to be planting, you know, flags and drawing lines in the sand, but we do want to be saying, you know, if we make a change, um, is that change going to be a positive one for the public safety and health or not? And so that's kind of one of the roles that we play here um, at the Department of Public Health. And finally, what's your greatest concern about all of this? I think my um, my concern is that in the uh, in this these first early weeks to months, the enthusiasm over this you know new and exciting opportunity that that many people see to you know try cannabis again maybe if they did haven't since they were at college or for the first time that they have really solid information on how to do that safely, and um, so that's been a big focus of our um, of our education effort. I also worry a lot about the reports of just how many pregnant and breastfeeding women are still using cannabis. And so we're working really hard with physicians as well to make sure that they know the, that the data is, it's not, we don't know definitively, but it's very clear that there's a, a potential risk there. And so we want to be sure that people have the right information. Dr. Karen Smith, the Director of California's Department of Public Health and the state's public health officer, I thank you so much, as always, for spending time with us. I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to talk with you again and to um, everyone. I still live in Napa, so I'm always happy to, um, to speak to your audience, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.